So, um, we talk about MultiDB. Uh, I guess the thing about with tonight is um, kind of the contrast between Django's MultiDB capabilities as they were probably originally meant to be used and the terrible things that we've done them to in order to make it suit our purposes. So, uh, just a brief introduction. Um, I and Sean and Roy all work at a place called Sassfire. Um, if you look behind my head here, you can see Sean with a vastly superior monitor set up than anyone else in the office. And uh, that actually represents about 75% of our office. Um, there's only about 25% left that you're not seeing in the shop So we are uh, a company that is a behavioral data company. So basically what we do is um, we look at the data that is created when people do or say things online. And our whole thing is to source that, analyze it, and respond to it. Essentially make tools for you to be able to do that. Work. So we're dealing with kind of big data sets. We're dealing with scaling issues that are related to that in terms of um, how do we make this work for a number of different people that have their own accounts with us or SaaS company. So um, we need to think about uh, scaling infrastructure in such a way that individual accounts can manipulate their own big data set. I'm, I'm blowing pretty quickly past the what it is we do part of this, but if anyone's interested in this, uh, in terms of the product or whatever, I'm happy to talk about it later on or after. It's, this particular thing you're looking at is called Focus Lab, and it's a behavioral segmentation tool, and it looks basically at um, behavioral aggregates of people as they do things on websites, and organizes them into uh, personas, affinity for content, uh, goals, things you're trying to accomplish, and environments, meaning stuff like um, form factor that you're on your uh, browser and whatnot. And then it looks at correlations between these things. So you can draw a big graph of behavior uh, for the traffic. So that's our problem. So, start off with probably what the use, intended use case for Django DB was. Um, and it's not what we're doing with it. So, uh, probably a number of you have this problem or have had this problem at one time. Um, you're making a new website or you're doing a website refresh. Um, you have your new database schema that you're going to lay down. Uh, but you've got this legacy database hanging around and um, you can't get rid of it. It's tied into some backend system perhaps or some other database property and you need to do something like get your user data out of it, maybe it's kind of a single sign-on issue, um, whatever. So what you really need to do is build web application that actually accesses both databases. And this is really what MultiDB was originally built for. <coughs> so um, this is what, very simplified, the Django ORM looks like without MultiDB. Uh, you have the API, and if you use Django, you use the API, you know, the model, the objects, get, filter, all that kind of stuff. Um, that API is feeding into a back-end piece of code, which is based on what you set that uh, database engine setting as in your settings file. That then passes on to a Python uh, driver for that, for whatever that particular database is. And then that goes on and talks to your actual RDBMS system. So that's no MultiDB. When you throw MultiDB in, when you switch your Django application into MultiDB mode, effectively you're adding an additional layer. And so what you do is you have that same ORM API there, but it's going to a database routing system that says, this particular operation should be routed to this database. This particular operation should be routed to this other database. <coughs> Each route goes and talks to a particular database definition, which you set up. And then that, from then on down, it looks the way it did before, uh, through the various layers of the back end, the driver, and so forth. So we're, we're just throwing the whole thing into this multi-DB mode, and then it knows how to route things. How it does that, we'll look at in a second. So 
So this is more or less what comes out of the box. Um, I'm gonna look at each one of these things. There are a system to define different databases. There are um, uh, a special database equals arguments that you can pass to a number of the Django management commands like SyncDB and whatnot. There are system of setting up routers in code to help Django figure out which database to set uh, operations to. And then there are some additions to the ORM API that would allow you to explicitly state um, where to send uh, operations. I'll look at each one So let's start with database definitions. <coughs> so it's pretty simple. Uh, so this is setting stuff by. Um, and it wants you to set a setting called databases. And as soon as you put the setting in here, databases, that will be what switches the Django ORM into multi-DB mode. It finds that there, it wants to be in multi-DB. And then it's just a dictionary. And uh, you are identifying the key is the name of that uh, uh, database as far as the ORM is concerned. And then um, the settings in there should look pretty familiar to you. Those are the settings that you essentially put in a regular database setup if you're just using one database, except you're doing it per database definition. Now, uh, you must have a default. It's got to be called default. If it doesn't find that, it will get upset and not work <coughs> in uh, mysterious ways. So you can call the rest of your databases anything you want, but one of them got more default. You can, if anyone wants to jump in with questions, just go ahead and jump in. You don't have to wait to the end of it. Um, okay. Part two, the database flag. So you know SyncDB, right? Uh, writes the schema onto your database, looks at all your models. So if you just do SyncDB and you don't say anything else, it will say, uh, you must mean the default database, and it will sync that. If you pass database equals something, which is one of those keys that you just set up in your database definitions, it will then know that is the database you want to sync. Um, similarly, uh, if anyone is using South, Django South, the migration tool, that also supports the database, uh, database argument as well. So you can, it's the same thing. You just put in database equals this particular one I'm specifying, it will run the migrations on that database. If you don't say what it is, it assumes you mean the default database. Now if you would sync multiple DBs, you have to run it multiple times? Yes. You could write a script that, you know. We have a problem that's kind of like that. I'll show you. Um, so once you have your databases sunk, sink, sunk um, and uh, you have your application running, uh, the preferable way, I think, the preferable way to do things is to not be writing in um, a lot of specific use this database type language in your code, just separation of concern issues. So the solution for that uh, supplied in, in the Django MultiDB setup is uh, database routers. A database router is just um, an object that you set up and you have to implement certain methods it's looking for. So it's looking for give me the DB for read and it will pass in the model that it is concerned about. You know, so this is my whatever account model. Um, and uh, it may, uh, and then basically you're looking at that, and you either are going to return a string, which will be the key of the database that uh, the app should use. Yeah, it's looking at that, those database definitions. Um, or if you return none, what you're saying, what the router is saying is, I have no comment on this situation. Just go to the next router and, and ask it what it should do. Um, DB for write, same kind of thing. It's just a different method it's looking at. Um, and then there are a, a number of other similar methods, but I'm not bothering to put all of them down, um, that uh, map to other operations down against the database. And it's the same kind of question, basically. It's saying, what database should I use in order to perform this operation? Here's the model. OK, now that you have the model, tell me what I should do. 
So if you implement this, you can, you can set up routing. And then the cool thing is you don't have to put all of your decision logic into one class here. You can specify multiple database routers. I'll show you where they go. Right here in settings.py. And you just feed it a list of uh, path names to your database routers. And it'll go down that list um, with each operation saying like, you know, give me the DB for read. And if, for example, my app router, the first one there, returns none in that operation, so it's saying no comment, I don't have any comment on this operation, then it'll just go to the next router and say, well, what do you want me to do? And uh, basically, at the end of the day, if nobody says anything, it'll say, okay, it's me the default database. Example of another example of how uh, how the routers uh, were envisioned being used when the stuff was being put together was uh, if you want to send all your reads to a slave, uh, like if you have a master slave replication setup and you want all your reads to go to the slave but writes to go to the master, you can write a pretty simple router to do that kind of thing. Yeah, there's a, a part of the uh, MultiDB documentation on the Django project or website that specifically talks about setting up master slave uh, replication. Okay, so if, and I don't actually do this, I'm not thrilled with this as an idea, but if you said, okay, really what I want to do is just in my code, I want to specify which database to use. There is a thing you can do, it's called using, and it's just another um, manager command. So for example, this thing at the, the top here is saying, give me all of the author objects in the database using the other database. Um, and you can chain that on like any other management commands. Um, if you want to save something to a specific database, you can do that by passing the using equals uh, argument into the save method. And again, it'll route it where we want. Um, again, not going on about this, but I don't love this as an approach because I think you're basically entangling all of that uh, stuff into your code. Now, obviously, if you're just doing a little, you know, look, okay, I have one exception, I don't want to follow the routers and whatnot, then this is the fastest way to do it. But this is, this way lies technical debt. <coughs> well, that was fun. Uh, now, the real one. <laughs> this, um, this was great, this didn't do what we needed it to do. Um, so, uh, for SAS, we need for our database cluster to host multiple accounts for multi-tenant. So the same code base, same database cluster, I need multiple databases. <coughs> Each one of those accounts can potentially have a lot of its own data. I want that data to be nicely isolated away from some other account's data. And we need to think about scaling, really, I should say, not sharding. Basically, the idea that right now we've got one database cluster, someday it's not going to handle our load, and we're going to need to think about a way to get to a state where um, we can have multiple clusters of databases out there, multiple databases, I guess. And, uh, you know, and we're not in some sort of horrendous migration scenario to get from where we are now to where we are. So, this is basically our, I'm not sure what you want to call multiple schemas. Um, we have a core database, and then each account gets its own database. Um, in the core, we've got account data, we've got user data, you know, when you log in, your user object, that's going to be inside there. Um, we have immutable data, we have stuff like, um, you know, this thing represents a certain type of something. It only needs to live once in our entire uh, deployment. So that's all in core. Everything else goes into uh, your account database by default. And so, I'm really sensitive about the idea of, um, uh, don't put it in core unless it really needs to be there because that's where the, the growing pain is going to start um, when that database gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So, just, so in terms of reading and writing, is there a paradigm here? 
We have a course for reading and writing, and not for anywhere they're equally, not for us. It's, it's read and write, you know, the same. It's, it's just like this model, read or write, goes into core, or this model, read or write, goes into calculus. I, I mean, the, the read write thing is cool, it's just not our problem. So, it gets worse. Uh, I didn't want to do something that bogged down the rest of the application development. I want to do really fast, uh, declarative preferably. Um, so I can just go, set me up a model, and this is a core model. Set me up a model, and this is a, a, an account model. Um, I didn't want explicit database references to the code. I, when we're talking about account database, it's not just like there's one account database and the core database, there's a database per account. So it needs to know how to wrap to the correct account database in any particular situation. Um, we have a web application, but we also use Celery. And uh, Celery, if anyone's not familiar with it, is a message queue system. And so these are tasks executing asynchronously away from uh, the web app. And that means it's got to work there too, basically. We'll talk about that. So. And finally, <clears throat> the system is not going to know in advance what the names of the account databases are. It's got to figure it out dynamically. So think about that databases dictionary again and settings. That's not going to work. It's not going to work for us. <coughs> Okay, the solution. So this is what this is what I wanted to see. Okay, so here's this is an application seat model. Basically, this model stands for um, you have a seat uh, on an application. Therefore, when you log in, you're entitled to see this application in your account. That's it. So if this there, you know a row exists for you, then you can see the account. So this is a core model kind of thing, because it doesn't need to live out in individual accounts. It just exists once in the entire system. So see the red there? Global model equals true. That's <coughs> the way that this thing uh, is designated to be a core object as opposed to a calendar. And that's really all I want to do. I want to set up a system. Once I do that, I'm done. I don't have to, to do any other coding in order to designate this model as part of the core. So here are the backflips. <clears throat> um, so here's a part of our router. Remember the database routers. So uh, first of all, I have a little utility methods at the, at the beginning. Okay, and so first of all, I want to know, is this a Sassfire model? Because there's going to be a bunch of stuff in the database that are like, um, you know, it's just like all the Django tables and all that kind of thing. And I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to be doing weird routing things with, with Django tables. Um, so the first thing it asks is like, is this a Sassfire model? Does it start with a Sassfire namespace? And if it doesn't, it's just going to say, no opinion. I'm not, I don't have anything to say about this one. Um, and the second thing is just looking for that global model field and because you see in the global, it's passing that model uh, in there, and then it's basically just saying, does it have the global model uh, attribute, and is, has it been set to true? Same thing, just scroll down a bit here, okay? Uh, so this is the db for read method for that, and basically all it's doing uh, is if it is a SASPART model, and if it is a global model, then return default, which is the core database, and use that. That's the easy case. Here's, here's where it gets weird, okay? So, uh, skip past those first two yellow ones. Go to the third one first, okay? Um, so it's going, uh, if I find this thing called the current account, then return this attribute called the slug. The slug is the name of the database that goes with the current account. This isn't going to make sense yet. Don't worry if it doesn't make sense yet, okay? Because it's, there's three layers down. Um, 
we need to look at that current account method. How do we know what the current account is? So this whole thing here about what account am I using at this particular moment in time. And so this is the current account method that's getting called from the, uh, that router, okay? And so now, it's looking at something called ENV. Put aside for a second what ENV is. Just assume that ENV has an attribute called account and it's gonna return that. So all it does is it either says if there's something in the environment, which is what EMV stands for, and it has an account attribute, return that. Otherwise, if you can find whatever the, your, the user is, then um, get profile. And, and on a Django user, uh, get profile is how you get to the application specific user definition. Um, and then that has a reference to whatever their account is. So give me that. Okay, so this is like step two of four. Okay. It's going to be some thread locals coming. <clears throat> Does anyone not know what a thread local is? Okay. Thread local is uh, a value, a variable that is associated with the executing thread. Okay, so that means if you had like two different threads going through the same code, they can potentially have different values associated with them for the same variable. So it's a variable with whatever the current thread is. Some people have different feelings about whether it's a good idea to use them a lot. Um, let me just give you the background. Basically, in a, in a web uh, server, typically speaking, it's going to look something like this. There'll be a pool of threads waiting around for HTTP requests. Requests will come in. And uh, the server will hand one of those threads over to the request. It will execute the request, and then it will take the thread back, and it will reuse that thread for other requests coming in. So the thing with thread locals that freaks people out is that you need to really make sure that any like a specific request, specific information that you attach to that thread gets unattached before you put the thread back in the pool again, or else it will wind up in someone else's request. And if that contains account information, stuff like that, that's bad. So I'm just going to give you both sides. I think they're fine. I think if you manage them properly, um, it's fine. But but that's the pitfall with it. It's just the other uh, complaint some people would have with them is they're especially they're essentially thread specific global. Um, and generally when you start playing around with globals, you get out We're all consenting adults. So because I didn't want to do thread locals over and over again, uh, a couple of years ago, I made a project called Django Environment. And uh, Django Environment is a way to use thread locals in your web server in a way that you don't have to mess with the safety code around allocating and deallocating threads. Basically, what it does is uh, you set up an environment file in your web, uh, your web application, and um, it has these different generators that go and come up with values and attach values to this env object, which you can then access from anywhere you want. All you have to do is import it, and they'll be there for you, and it'll be um, in whatever the executing code is. So it would be like os.env per thread? That's where I got that idea. Yeah. So, um, I won't spend too long on this, but basically this is what it looks like. Um, HTTP request comes in, hits Django environment, which is basically a piece of middleware. Um, it looks at the environment file, it comes up with these environment generator classes, um, it associates the values with the CMV object, um, then whatever your view is, executes, and then the thread local is clear, and the EMV thing is scrubbed. Um, so this is the environment file for us, and uh, there's a couple of, so those entries are the generators, that's the things assigning the values to uh, the environment. 
In this particular case, the one we care about is that account generator there. So Django environment will simply look at this and it'll go, oh, account generator, here it is. And it'll call it generate method. Um, it's going to pass the request object in. And in this particular case, all we're doing is putting request user get profile. That gives us our user profile object, which is specific to our application. And then that has an account. And it's going to return that. And then back up again. Go back to here. You see that account key in that dictionary there? It will take that value and assign it to the account. And now, inside of current account, env.account is now the account. And so now we know what the current account is, which if we back up and look at that router again, means we know which account database to send the request to. Anyone? Unfortunately, with Celery, this completely breaks. Um, there's no request. It's an asynchronous message queue. There is no request. The Django environment doesn't work. So we have to do something else. We use Celery because we do things like um, the application will kick off this giant data processing job. And we obviously can't block the HTTP request response cycle you know, for five hours while this thing runs. So it's got to break off, do its own thing, let the response come back, and just be checking on it itself. It means it's a completely different thread. It's a different server, actually. So we made a context manager called useAccount. So context manager is a really awesome Python feature that allows you to um, use a statement called with. So the red there is the, the key. Uh, so this is, this is just a chunk of a salary task that does something that takes a long time. Um, and all it's doing here is it's looping through all of the account objects. And accounts are core models, so I don't have to specify which database it is because it's the default database. And then for each account, I'm going to do something that's specific to that account meaning I want to use the database associated with that account. So uh, all I can do is go with use account, pass the account name, and then inside that with block, it will use the right database. And there's a bunch of, there's like transaction code that you use context managers for, um, thread locking stuff you can use um, context managers for. They're, they're really nice, and they're a nice replacement for try finally have you ever do like, um, you know, I'm going to run some code and something might explode, but I need this to run at the end, so I'm going to do a finally block. Sometimes you can just replace that with uh, with a with statement. Oh, um, file I know, good example. You can do like with, open the file, do some stuff, and you fall out of that block, and just close the file. Awesome. Um, so to implement the context manager, uh, it's just a regular old Python object. Um, so there's three parts to this. There's the uh, constructor in it. There's enter, which is called at the beginning of that with block. And there's exit, which is called at the end <coughs> of the with block. Okay. So all we're doing, so if you remember the, the call, we're passing the name of the account in to the constructor. So account name, and what it does is it goes and looks up that account and it assigns it to itself because conveniently you've instantiated a Python object which is going to hang around for the duration of that block. Um, so I'm going to keep it around. Um, also, I have, so that's account. I have a thing called current account which is going to be none. And the reason for this is um, if you are, what I want to do is have this run so if you're in a thread where there's already an account associated with the thread and you call this, I don't want to obliterate the, uh, the account that was already associated with it. I just want it to move over to a state where it's using the account that I'm telling it to use. And then when it's done, I want it to revert back to whatever it had before. So I want to, I got to keep that state around, basically. If I wanted to get really crazy about this, I'd make it a stack, right? So we just like 
No, this is the account. No, this is the account. But two point. Um, so current account, no. Uh, enter, call the beginning with block. What it will do is it will go check the env object and say, do you already have an account set? And if so, it will assign that to current account. Then it will take the account that we told it to take when we created the context manager, and we will assign that to the environment account value, which is how current account knows what to look at. <coughs> then at the end, we just reverse it again. We take whatever we had there and we put it back, which is probably enough. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's just to recap. That is how we know which account database to send um, send a particular operation to. Now, no a priori knowledge of account databases. So, back to our normal Django MultiDB setup. We have this thing here, databases. Okay. This is cached in memory by Django in a number of different places. South is even worse. It has its own cache. It will read this. It will pull it in. And then you can screw with this as your application uh, executes and Django won't notice. It'll take what you had initially and start. <coughs> Furthermore, it's all explicitly you know, defined when you configure the application. Here's what we need. In the beginning, there is no database X. Okay? Um, then someone comes to our site and signs up for a SAS password. <coughs> when they sign up, we dynamically create a new database. Database X. We configure it to be the way we need it to be. Then the system amazingly finds out that it has a new database and that when someone logs in under a particular uh, account, they then are getting their data sent to the right place. All of this without the system ever going down and coming back up. So we made a thing called dbmap. And instead of that dictionary in settings, we're assigning this object called dbmap. This is the hack. Now we're on This is the way databases work. <coughs> Uh, so various bits of multi-DB aware code throughout Django and South um, look for a dictionary that's been assigned to the database's uh, setting. Then it does all of its caching, and then it completely ignores the database's setting from then on out. This is the way it should work. It ought to have some sort of database definition provider class available that you can set in settings. If you don't set it, then it should be able to fall back to whatever the default provider is, which can just happen to go look at a dictionary called databases. Um, and then any caching in memory that occurs should be left up to the database provider class, whatever that is. And so it, you know, you'll have one memory cache or one whatever representation of database definitions in the system and not scattered all over the, the system. In the ground. Right, back to the event. Um, so, this is the uh, constructor for dbmap. And uh, you pass in a bunch of um, arguments, potentially, if you want, that define the default database. Okay, so that. We're going to get for free. It's not terribly different from what you would do in the database <coughs> dictionary. Um, and it, in fact, has a uh, dictionary of its own, internally cached, called data, that it stores that initial default definition. We're going to need that. This is kind of like the bootstrap. We can't really do it on this part. Um, <coughs> so then we have starting to do things that uh, mimic dictionaries. Okay? So uh, get item is Python hook um, as part of the dictionary contract. So when you go like, here's my dictionary, and give me the value for this key, 
it plugs into that get item method. <coughs> so any object that you define with get item pretends it's a dictionary for the purposes of accessing code. And there's a bunch of different methods that supply this. There are things like the user dict module, which will um, supply a lot of the boilerplate functionality for dictionaries. So there's a lot of ways to simulate dictionaries inside of Python that you can use um, if you're doing weird stuff like this. Um, so <clears throat> we basically goes in there and it says, I have this self data uh, internal memory cache. If the key, meaning the database definition I'm looking for, isn't there, then I'm going to fail over to trying to load that database. And um, our account-specific database information is stored in the account object model in the core database. So uh, what it tries to do is go and say, give me the account that um, is referenced by this, and then stuff it into the data uh, based on whatever you find in there. So it's reading from one database in order to get the definition for another database. And then if it's not there, it will do a key error, which is basically what you get out of the picture. So it's pretending to picture. Does this kind of um, interaction occur with every uh, data request? Or how often does it need to? Uh, uh, to do this. Well, it's 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 hitting that memory cache, right? Like that data, self data. See that? So after you load it once, it never goes back to the database. Again, <coughs> as long as the system is not it caches per file. Right. Process. But um, every, every query does have to come in through this. Yes. Okay. It would have to hit a router somewhere along the line in, in multi DP. Um, so it's more complicated from from you know complexity of code perspective, but in theory there shouldn't be a big uh, performance hit because it's just memory. Yeah, so I, I, quick question. I, I wasn't sure whether. I'm sorry. Sorry. I, just, I guess I just wasn't sure. Typically, this would happen at, at initialization time. The settings file gets loaded and it's kind of done. With. It's part of the. Um, if you go back to the slide we had near the beginning, basically what it's doing is when it comes out of the router uh, and the router spits out like you know, give me database Bob, right? It then needs to go and get the definition for database Bob in order to actually know stuff like what is the you know um, what's the what's what's the what's the uh, database backend I should be using, what's the configuration you know username password post that kind of thing, and so um, it's always that kind of step process where like every transaction has that kind of step process to it where it's going which which database should I use. Now that I know which database I use, give me the information for that database so I can actually make it useful. Um, uh, probably a use case I don't really care about, but um, once you've loaded that database information into your cache, there, is there any way to refresh the cache? Let's say you change your DB password or things like that. Um, or is that just not something? Well, changing the DB password, we take the, the system down. Yeah. That, that would be. And that'd be um, but I mean, the, you know, the use case we have in real life is that um, someone makes a new account. Right, well, that, that's why it's not cached. Oh, right. you'd like just if it's already cached? Yeah. Um, I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we basically it's just, you know, figuring out a way to, to send a signal to get it to reload. Um, you could literally, if you, you had that kind of problem, um, you could do things like you use Django signals, for example, and, and have it catch a signal and, uh, you know, that just purge the cache. Reload. Yeah, sure. Um, and then it's just kind of like that whole cache validation thing after that, which are, what are the right times and what do they do. And, and do you guys auto generate your passwords, or for those databases that they're being spun up, is it? I, think, I don't know, you check that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just curious, or is it right now, yes, yeah, right now it's. It's, it's kind of based on the account stuff. We'll probably okay. do something more clever eventually. Okay. Um, but right now, the database isn't exposed to anything other than the web servers and the workers. So, right. Uh, if you've got this far, you right? If you've got right. this far, we're you've lost right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is scarce. 30 miles away from the public face. Yeah. You're behind, you know, firewalls. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Dynamic creation of databases. Okay, so uh, go back to the flowchart. Someone signs up for a new account, and we need to actually make a new database in order for them to have a database. 
Um, so uh, you can see I've pulled all your login code out here. Um, that first part of it is just finding the right information. Uh, so the stuff in red, at this point, we completely, so we're past the ORM at this point. Like the ORM can't really help us with this stuff. There's nothing in there to create databases themselves. Um, and so we use Postgres and we gave up on database portability for this part of it. We just said, you know what, code in directly against the Postgres driver. Uh, it's fine. So that's what that is, PsychoPG2 is the Python Postgres uh, database driver. And it is going through and it is um, creating a new database and it is passing in, um, you can see the DB name and uh, uh, this is information that's coming out as parameters which, which basically go back to the account. Uh, so when the person goes in, uh, you know, Bob's Taco Stand as the name of the account, we will slugify that and that will become the database name. Um, this takes a couple minutes. Um, after this, it will then go through the second half of that. This is more the same method. Um, so uh, call command is built into Django, and that is a method to call a management command from inside code. From the code. Um, so first we call SyncDB, and we are passing it the uh, name we have. Uh, interactive equals false. If you remember SyncDB when it goes like, if you'd like to create a root user, we're in code. We don't want to see an interactive prompt, so we just squash that. Right away. And uh, uh, then we are loading the databases. So settings, databases, we're referring to our DBMAP object, the actual instantiated version of that is sitting in our settings file right now. We're going to call that loadDB method, which um, basically so we're not, we're not even going to memory cache, we're saying load it now out of the database. Go and get the new database information from the account. SouthDB. South has its own cache of everything. We're reloading the module. We have to because South won't look at the changes in the database file unless we force it to actually reload the whole code in the memory. That's what that is. And then we call migrate, which is the south migration command. And again, we're passing it uh, that database argument. Remember uh, back when I talked about like um, database equals, beginning of this? That's that. It's just from the inside of the call command. Right? Um, the, oh, sorry. Sure. I was just going to say on the previous screen, um, if you're doing the string templating yourself, instead of using the whatever uh, driver. I, I, you know, I, I, there was a comment in there that said this um, is evil, and I, I took it out just because there was too much code on the screen. Right, so the problem there is the, at least as far as I can find, the normal parameter escaping stuff uh, doesn't work here because these are actually database and usernames, which has different escaping meanings than uh, variable values. Um, hence. So the, the doing the slugify stuff is still kind of scary because now I'm relying on slugify to protect me from a uh, signal injection. Um, but to be fair, slugify is pretty straightforward in, in what it lets through. Um, so uh, yeah, I agree. It's, it's not a happy situation, but it's, it's what we have right now. Points responding. I was going to ask, is this stuff in the production running in a web process or a seller process? This is in seller. That takes too long. Well, actually, the first slide takes a couple milliseconds to run. This one takes more migration as it's south, just doing a lot of queries. Yeah, complete scheme available. Yeah, no, that's no, it's not Django. That's the DB map object we made. Uh, so, so that's the method of the DB object. Yeah, let me. Oh, I see. Sorry, do you have it here? Yes. Yeah, here it is. Uh -huh. right there. It's basically what we're saying is, ignore your internal memory cache. <coughs> you know, go in and get this database definition right out of the core. 
It's similar to um, this discussion. Um, do you ever like migrate uh, migrate data from one one DB to the other and have that get from there? Um, I haven't had that situation yet. Well, because every user is like getting their own data. That's the whole point of this. Yeah. Okay. Every well, every account account could be multiple users, but yeah. But I mean, you know, migration is something. We say we need to, you know, change from one big database server to three big database servers to have that issue. You know. Yeah. Actually, just to that point, because I've, I've dealt with MultiDB using migration, it's it's really hard to find documentation. And the way that Django is structured actually makes it hard to copy an object using Django, you know, from one database to another because you have problems with primary keys, especially if relations between the objects, and that the underscore state. Um, Attribute to the object is actually you, you have to manually set that if you really want to successfully copy stuff over from one database to the other. We should be well figure out like, if that helps. <coughs> no. Uh, specific use case that's actually probably the least simple <coughs> use of uh, the using uh, APIs. Because in that case, you really do want to control for each command what the database you're talking to. What challenges do you run and how do you solve problems with uh, uh, upgrading, self-migrating databases? Um, we need to, uh, we have a deployment issue. Actually, one thing I probably could have thrown in here that I didn't was, um, uh, what we need to do basically when we deploy new code is to run migrations typically at the schema stage. Right. Um, and the migrate command actually didn't work for us because of one of those caching issues with South. So we actually have, we had to write our own kind of like wrapper script for migrate to, to um, uh, you know, reload South that, you know, again, and, and then actually go through, just iterate through all the accounts and, and run the migrations against them all. The other thing is because at any given time, we potentially don't know what all the account databases are. We don't want to be sitting there going like, migrate Bob, migrate right. Joe, you know? We just want it to be able to say, look at all the accounts and migrate Bob. Right. So, yeah, it's something using the, the uh, run command, I think. This command, uh, I think it was like two more slides. Oh, call command? Yeah, call command. Uh, so basically just do a, a query to see what all the accounts are and then do call command migrate and pass it database. Yeah, it's just basically got that code punch. Okay. Were there any sort of outstanding issues relating to using the database object in a way that they didn't intend? Like, did that break anything else that you yeah. know about? Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, broke everything, actually. Um, <coughs> most of the issues in terms of debugging were this kind of like, uh, what it would look like is there would be an object that you expected to be there in the database, and the database came back and said, no, I don't have that. And once you looked into it, the pattern was you forgot to set the account. You didn't tell the currently executing thread what account it was on. And so, I mean, I did that over and over again with celery test, for example, because I didn't put the with use account uh, block in there. And when I didn't, it just goes like, oh, I don't have that. Left stretching. Once you've got the Django environment, is that the right? Once you've got that in place, then. Well, that associates with the threat, but then you need to um, you need to tell MultiDB what to do, and so MultiDB needs to um, like like with Django environment, that's great for the web app part of it, but in Celery, so he doesn't work. So that's where you have to go in and set it explicitly. And so basically, the way it would work is that. All of the celery tasks that need to access specific account databases have to have the account name or primary key passed in as an argument to that celery task. Um, and then from there, you can use the with use account. Or so is that the only way you're taking over you when you call a celery task? We have to, at that point, explicitly code that. Yeah, the user's account. So, so if you were launching it from within a viewer or something like that, you'd say, give me the current account. Okay, now take that account, pick the primary key. Pass it into the summary task and we'll back and fire off.
I haven't used that a lot. So I think that's more a bit of future proofing on the part of Django 4. I don't think there's many cases where there's anything more passed in that right now. Um, but I think it's placed there both. So in the future, they could pass stuff. And I think there's ways you can set up your application to pass them there as well. Um, so generally speaking, it's not used, but it's kind of like a it was an easy extension point when you're creating the API, but it's not to add there. I wonder if uh, I'm using actually passes the way. I don't remember. <coughs> so this code here is on a, an account instance? And yes. And that uh, would be, it's a model, yeah. That would be after the account has already been saved to the core. Yes. So about how much time elapses from saving that account before the database for the account? It's immediate. It's it's basically we have uh, an application it's accounts that's aspire.net which is responsible for sign up and um, uh, it sort of caches all your information and then um, when you get the end of it it will you know make an account object it does all sorts of things for the setting up and then um, when it's done with that finishes it off the last thing it does is um, it will then fire off the salary task that goes and executes this stuff. Um, and then it returns and says like, you know, thank you, check your email, you know, for the activation link. Um, and this thing's running back. Actually, I think we cheated a little bit there. So what we do is actually, uh, we just add a fish uh, registering. We say, okay, thanks, we'll send you a confirmation email to the like, email validation loop. And we're actually at that point doing all the things on the database, and when we're done setting up the database, we send you your activation email. Yeah, the, the email is the last thing that happens. And, and I, we didn't get that that far, but at the very end, that's, it's that's safeguards against its use before it's created. Absolutely. Yep. That's the point. And without that link, you can't get it. Sure. That's a that's a good point actually, because you have this weird it's like a race condition with a human. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. I guess that's it for me. I'm you know around if anyone wants to talk afterwards. Uh, thanks a lot.